Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you as a bunch of sinners, all of us. None of us is any better. None of us deserves eternal life. None of us deserves forgiveness. Lord, we all deserve condemnation. And yet, you so loved us that your son came. You so loved us that you sent your only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in order to make that happen, he had to go upon an old rugged cross. And there upon that cross, he paid the debt of our sin, and he paid it in full. And so, Lord, we're thankful that because of Jesus' cross and resurrection, we come to you as your children in Christ. For every one of us who has received Jesus Christ as, your, as our personal Lord and Savior, Lord, you've cleansed us, and you continue to clean us up. And so, Lord, today, by your word, by your spirit, transform us. Make us more like Jesus. Encourage us. Challenge us. Send send us out of this experience different from the way we walked in. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One of the phenomena that has emerged in a post-COVID world is that we have the widespread removal of kindness in our interpersonal interactions. Have you found that? So COVID kind of forced us all to retreat to our homes. And we all had to go our own separate ways. And even when we did interact with people, there was now a barrier between us. There was either the barrier of a mask or the barrier of a screen, the barrier of a keyboard, even the barrier of a a phone line. There was a barrier there, and, and something strange happened. We stopped treating each other like human beings, and we started treating each other more like Internet bots. You know, we kind of we lost our ability to be warm and forgiving and kind. And, and unfortunately, it wasn't just to those people out there. It could be even to our friends, our family members, those closest to us. And then as two-dimensional communication has emerged, and, and you may say, what is two-dimensional communication? Well, two-dimensional communication is communication that happens on something flat, like a piece of paper or a screen. Two-dimensional communication is what we write to each other. And how many of you have found that two-dimensional communication, like text messages and emails, they're great, but they can also be fraught with misunderstanding. How many of you have ever gotten into trouble because you read a tone in a text message that wasn't there? Can that happen? How many of you have gotten into trouble because you sent a text message that had a tone you did not intend? In fact, I would say many of us in this room and in this experience have had some relational damage done by two-dimensional communication that we have sent or received, whether we intended it or not. It it got to a point where here at First Baptist Church among our staff, we made a rule uh, during the height of COVID, and that is this. If there is any tension whatsoever in the communication, it's got to go from two-dimensional to three-dimensional right now. 
In other words, if there's tension in our written communication, we are going to go to voice-to-voice or face-to-face interaction. Because here's what happens. When we go to -to voice-to-voice or face-to-face, what we call three-dimensional interaction, we're looking or hearing the voice of someone that we recognize as a human being that we love. And that makes a world of difference. So, there have been some great things that have happened, but there have also been some difficult things that have happened as technology has emerged We've lost the ability to be kind, but God's people are called to be different. Did you know that? Just as in every other aspect of life, God's people are called to be different in the way that we treat one another and in the way that we treat the world. A friend of mine named Sean McDowell, many of you may know his dad. His dad is Josh McDowell, but Sean and I went through a leg of our education together, and he's just released a book entitled A Rebel's Manifesto. A Rebel's Manifesto, and I heard an interview the other day where the interviewer was like, you know, Sean, I don't, I don't perceive you as a rebel. Where did the title of this book come from? And this is what he said. He said, being a rebel today is somebody who says, I'm going to understand you. I'm going to see the world through your lens. I'm not going to cancel you. I'm going to extend kindness He said, that's actually the rebel today, which in many ways we see in the life of Jesus. So do you want to do something to turn this tide of unkindness? Well, be a rebel. Be a rebel like Jesus. Rebel against a world where it's easier to send an insult. It's easier to act like a troll. It's easier to pop off at the mouth and then put, I said what I said, and then go back and delete it a few minutes later because you feel guilty about it. Be different. Be different. Be like Jesus. Now, in order for that to happen, a deeper transformation has to happen. It can't just be at the level of behavior change. How many of you have tried behavior change before and found that it didn't work? No, God wants something deeper. He cleanses us and heals us from the inside out. And this is what Jesus said about what comes out of our mouths, or if you will, what comes out of the end of our typing fingers or thumbs. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37, he said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We're going back to James today, James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21. If you're in the Red Pew Bible here in the room, that's page 1011. We've been on that page for a while now. But today, James, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, is going to show us the deeper transformation that has to happen. How is it that God changes us from the inside out so that we can be a rebel in a society that has become unkind? I have to give you this warning as well. Today's message is going to challenge all of us. Notice I did not say, today's message is going to challenge you. 
I remember there was a church that I used to be a part of and there was a lady who would sit on the front row and whenever the preacher was preaching, he would, he would hit a lick, you know, one of, those, one of those lines that just makes everybody go, ooh. And this lady would yell, you tell them. <laughs> you tell them, <laughs> right? Now, I'm going to tell you, when we look at this text, your temptation is going to be, you tell them, God. And you're going to have somebody in your mind who needs to hear this. You may be married to them. You're going to have somebody. But here's my encouragement to all of us. Why don't we say, God, you tell me. You tell me. And you're probably going to wince just a little bit. And that's okay. Because what doesn't challenge us doesn't change us. And God's going to challenge us this morning. The theme of today's message is, by faith, we repent and believe. By faith, we repent and and believe. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit in verses 19 through 21, saying this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Well, the first point comes from really verses 19 and 20 and the first half of verse 21, and it is this. By faith, we turn away from sin. Well, how is God calling us to turn away from sin in these verses? First, we should be quick to hear. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person, and every includes me, and it also includes you, be quick to hear. Now again, God's Word is so beautiful in that it all works together. And I want you to hear that the things that God's going to tell us through His Word today, they're scattered all throughout the Scriptures. In Proverbs, for example, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Then again in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, the Bible says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Have you ever been a part of a conversation where you were talking to somebody and you knew they weren't listening to you? Now, again, no husbands and wives doing this right now, okay? But I mean, maybe you've been in a great banquet hall and you've had people coming around you and you're talking to them and they're talking to you and you're kind of working the room. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you're saying something and they're looking at who else is in the room? Have you ever done that? Has that ever happened to you? How does that make you feel? Or maybe you're pouring out your heart to your husband or your wife, and they are more interested in what's on the TV screen or what's on their phone, and you know they're not hearing a word of this. How does that make you feel? Have you ever done that to anybody? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think all of us are guilty at times. I'm, I'm in the middle of premarital counseling with a couple of couples, and one of the things that I always like to tell people, and honey, don't hold this against me. But I tell them that a good practice is to listen with your eyes. So how do you do that? Focus. And I tell particularly husbands-to-be, God has allowed us to live in a wonderful era where you can pause the football game. 
You literally can. You can hit pause, and you can turn. Now, I'm not saying I do this every time. I said we're all sinners, okay? So don't go find an Aaron in the narthex after the service and say, does he really do that? Because I'll go on and tell you, sometimes no. (laughs) But we can listen with our eyes. We listen, and we are engaged. We must be quick to hear. Also, have you ever struggled with the battle of talking over people? That's a, that's a pet peeve of mine because I had to struggle with it myself. Somebody's in the middle of what they're saying, and you've thought of what you need to say, and you start talking over them, and what does that say? I don't value what you're saying. You need to be quiet so I can share my brilliant thought. Have you ever done that? See, the Bible says we should be quick to hear, and I, it's a discipline for me. I have to say, Jeff, be quiet. In fact, I might even say it a little more clearly to myself than that, but in this context, I'll say, Jeff, be quiet. Let them finish. Let them finish. And again, sometimes I'm successful. But you know, and you've heard it said, the old adage is that God designed each of us with how many ears and how many mouths. So we should listen twice as much. Yeah, I know, it gets me too. One of the things I love that our kids do, we have uh, all of our, uh, many of our schools in this region, I think maybe all of ours in the county and the city are, are leader in me schools. And one of the principles that comes from the seven habits of highly effective people is to seek first to understand, then to be understood. That's such a valuable lesson. But in order to understand, you have to listen. And you have to say, I'm going to hear you from your perspective. Blake was with me in my office the other day, and he's working through seminary, and he was asking me about some of my books. And one of my favorite collections of books is is a book series called Perspectives. And it's all these theological sticking points. You know, whole denominations are formed after a disagreement on this one issue. And I love these books because it's all the sides of the issue written by somebody who believes that their perspective is right. So it's not my perspective on something I don't agree with. It's my perspective on something I do agree with. And then somebody else shares their perspective on something they agree with and why they disagree. It's really helpful because when you try to understand somebody from where they're coming from and not your perception of where they're coming from, it changes the entire interaction. So, James says we should be quick to hear, but there's a corollary here. The next little, little phrase says, slow to speak. So we should be slow to speak. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 15, 2 says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Proverbs 17, 27 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You know this one, Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. And then it's credited to Mark Twain and to Abraham Lincoln. You know the quote, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through the first part of verse 20, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Out of the overflow of your heart is what your mouth speaks. And we live in a dangerous age, and it's become even more dangerous just in the last couple of decades. Just since the advent of social media, there is a danger in living in a world in which you can publish your thought in an instant. You know, it used to be for your, your words, your thoughts to have widespread circulation, you had to go through a publisher. They had to be reviewed before they could be put out. I mean, it, it wasn't even easy to get into Reader's Digest. You know what I'm saying? You had, to, you had to work at it. Now, you can just spew forth whatever you want for the world to read right from your thumbs right in this moment. Have you ever replied to an email and as soon as you hit send, you wish you could have it back. I heard one time, and this is great practice, that sometimes you need to get it out. Do not put their name in the to section of your email because things can go wrong if you do. But go ahead and type it out. Get it out. But wait 24 hours, maybe even 36 before you send it. Read it again, and then go ahead and delete it. Right there, there's a danger. Or people who put out tweets or posts on Facebook or whatever, and they're embarrassed by them quickly and take them down. Well, you know what happens? Somebody took a screenshot of that. So although the tweet has disappeared, it has not disappeared. And if you put it on the Internet, you know how long it's there for? I mean, styrofoam cups will degrade before that will go away. Be what? Quick to hear, be slow to speak. The next word, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, God's Word is replete with references to this call. Psalm 37, 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Proverbs 19, 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. In Colossians 3, 8, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. How easily do you get angry? And you know, anger takes a lot of forms. It takes a lot of forms. Sometimes it's this explosiveness, this red-faced experience, and other times it's complete closing down. So you may say, well, I don't get angry just because you don't explode. Well, maybe you bring it all in. Maybe you are the master of the silent treatment. How easily do you get angry? Well. If your anger has a hairpin trigger, there's a couple things going on. Number one, 
it is almost always a symptom of something deeper going on. In fact, I tell our staff all the time, if somebody sends us an angry message, and that happens. I've gotten some wonderful letters over the years. In fact, we had somebody call our prayer line one time. I made a negative comment about cats, not like the wild cats, like just felines, you know. And this woman called and demanded that I be fired immediately. Well, I wasn't, but some people thought about it. Um, But I always encourage myself and our staff, think about what they're going through. Think about what they're going through. Think about what they're facing. Think about what struggle they may be walking through. Anger is almost always a symptom of something deeper going on. If you have a hairpin anger trigger, it's because it maybe because you're deeply stressed or you're dealing with depression or you're, you're just realizing that nothing's going the way you want it to go, or, or maybe you've got a family member walking through a remarkably difficult circumstance, or maybe you just had a bad day. And so I always encourage our staff, and I deeply encourage myself, take a step back and say, what's going on in this person's life that might be leading them to express themselves in this way now? Now, does that make it okay? I tell our staff, don't you dare ever endure abuse. That's not your job. We don't pay you enough to do that. Don't you endure abuse. But if somebody's just expressing anger, take a step back, think about what's going on in their life, and recognize. Like, for example, during COVID, somebody asked me just the other day, how did you make it through COVID? How was that as a pastor? I said, well, it's kind of like when I first came to First Baptist Church, and we have a couple of daycares, and it snowed really big. And we had to make a decision about whether or not we were going to have to close because of the snow. And, And I called my friend Tim Murley, who used to be the superintendent of Warren County Schools. And I said, Tim, how do I make this decision? He said, it's simple you recognize that no matter what decision you make, you're wrong. Doesn't matter. If you choose to close out of safety, you're wrong. Wow, and where I grew up, we drove to school in 25 feet of snow, you know. And if you close, or if you choose to stay open because you think you'd make it happen, you're endangering people's lives. So here's how you make that decision. Just recognize that you're wrong. And so I told this person I was talking to, I said, when we were coming through all that stuff with the masks and social distancing and all those sorts of things, it didn't matter what decision we made. I got emails about it. I got messages about it. I can't believe, you know, it just, it it was what it was. But I told our staff, I said, here's what we have to remember. And anytime I tell you I told our staff, it's because God has really given me a hard time about some of my own attitudes. So I told our staff, I said, we have to remember Listen, there are people who are mad at national leaders right now, and they're mad at local leaders right now, and they can't stand what we're going through right now, except for they can't get to those leaders, but they can get to you. And so they got to take it out somewhere. So, okay, again, do not endure abuse, but recognize what's going on. So it usually comes from a deeper reality, but if you have a hairpin anger trigger, Recognize that it's not producing the righteousness of God. And, and I know what's in some of your minds right now. It's a phrase that I learned in college. And I really enjoyed this phrase when I learned it in college because when I was in ministry, I learned about Christian righteous indignation. How many of you have ever heard the term righteous indignation? 
It's what all the kids at the BCM call it when they get mad. And all the kids at crew call it when they get mad. And all the kids at the Christian Student Fellowship call it when they get mad, right? It's righteous indignation. This is not anger like lost people would have it. No, I am righteously indignant at the situation. And I would just ask that we all pause and say, okay, yes, there were a couple of times when Jesus expressed anger, and we know his anger was righteous. He expressed anger toward those who were making a mockery of the temple and impugning God's character by buying and selling there in the temple courts, trying to make a profit off of God. Yes, he showed forth his righteous anger in that moment. He was righteously anger at those who, angry at those who would impugn the character of God by the way that they responded and the things that he said to the religious leaders. Woe to you, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. Did Jesus have reason to say those things. Of course he did. Why? Because they were attacking the character of Almighty God. Now, when I get mad, no matter what, I feel like I'm righteously indignant, at least in the moment, don't you? And if they would just listen, you ever said that? If they just listen to me, I know none of y'all have ever said that. I have a time or two. I always feel righteous in the moment, and then God has to show me, no, 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 no. See, if we're going to have true righteous indignation, then we have to be mad at the same things God gets mad at, not just that somebody offended me. And then we have, to, we have to respond in the way that God would have us respond, not just the way that feels good in the moment that we'll wish we hadn't done at some point. And then he says we should put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. He goes from our lack of ability to listen to our quickness to speak, to our anger that bursts forth, and then he goes right into wickedness, filthiness. And the Bible says that if we are in Christ, we ought to be different. Not just because we will ourselves to be different, but because God has given us his Holy Spirit and is transforming us from the inside out. So, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But what is he saying? You're not living in them anymore. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do, and the, the, the word he uses for do is practice, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
So in other words, we don't get saved because we change ourselves. But once we come to Christ, if we're not being changed, then we're not saved. That's just the truth. Once I give my life to Jesus and He gives me the Holy Spirit, I'm being transformed. And some of these things that used to be besetting sins in my life, it's time for them to be laid aside. You say, well, how in the world do I do that? Second half of verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Our second point, by faith we receive and believe God's word. By faith we receive and believe God's word. We receive his word with meekness. God's word challenges us. He's challenged us today. He challenges us every day. If the Bible is not offending you, you're not reading it closely enough. He'll challenge you as you interact with what he has said. And so what do you have to do? Well, we have to humble ourselves and say, okay, Lord, speak. I'm listening and I'm wincing. Show me the offensive ways in me. And then by the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells in me, get those things out of me and make me different. Make me more like Jesus. James is going to say in chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So we come to God's word with meekness, with humility, saying, God, I'm a sinner, but I believe that you have sent your son to be my savior. And I've received him and I'm trusting him and I'm following him. But I need your help. Because... James talked today about being quick to listen, and I'm not really that quick to listen. He talked today about being slow to speak, and boy, I'm not real slow to speak. He talked today about not allowing my anger at that which personally offends me to compel me to be unkind to those around me. He's challenged me to lay aside filthiness and rampant wickedness and I can't change all this, but I know you can. So change me from the inside out. At the bottom of your notes, I put a, a verse from 1 Peter. It's actually 2, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. And Peter says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Doesn't it make you feel good that Peter wrote that? Because if there was anybody who could be slow to listen and quick to speak, it was Peter. But here toward the end of his life, God's done such a work in him that he is now teaching us just ease back. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, receiving with meekness God's word which is able, James says, to save your souls. And he's talking about that sanctification. Because once I come to Christ, God has justified me. And then he makes me holy all the way to heaven. What about you this morning? Anything need to change in you? Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or if you will, the thumbs type. How's your heart this morning? How's my heart this morning? 
We're going to come to a time of response, and all I would ask is that we would come collectively before God and say, Lord, help. He loves to answer that prayer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.